y'all. Welcome to the Marty Smith America Podcast, Volume 16, another killer show for you guys this week. My guest, the face of ESPN, Scott Van Pelt. In all honesty, I was going to have Scotty on when I had the great interview with Brooks Kepka prior to the U.S. Open golf tournament a couple of weeks ago just to discuss his experience with Brooks Kepka. Scott's covered golf since the mid-90s, I think, when he started at the Golf Channel before he made his way to ESPN. But as Travis and I started to talk through this, I thought, why in the world would I take his time to discuss Brooks Kepka when I can take his time to discuss himself? I mean, again, I think he's the face of ESPN. He hosts the Scott Van Pelt Show every night on SportsCenter. Uh, and it's just tremendous. It's uh, a very different brand of Sports Center television, and he's such a good thinker, and he's such a good writer, and uh, he's a transcendent personality that resonates with all demographics, and that's very hard to do anywhere, but certainly in the world of sports. So we'll get to Scott in just a minute. But before we get to my wide-ranging conversation with Scotty, I want to discuss Dollar Shave Club with you guys. I've done it before. I'm going to continue to do it because Dollar Shave Club is a great partner for me. They have everything that you need to get ready in the bathroom and certainly everything I need to get ready in the bathroom. You guys know I live on the road. I'm all over the place. I'm in Paris. I'm in the Grand Canyon. I'm at the Ohio State Spring Game. I'm at the Belmont and the Derby and the Preakness covering Justify winning the Triple Crown. We're everywhere. And Dollar Shave Club goes with me. Everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. You name it. They have shampoo, conditioner, body wash, toothpaste, hair gel, even a butt wipe that leaves your tush feeling tingly clean. I'm a huge fan of their shave butter. In fact, I love it so much I called them and asked them for more. I love that stuff. Every time I shave and lace up this beard, I'm using their shave butter to get me right. We're big fans of their Amber and Lavender Calming Body Cleanser. I never smelled anything like it. Good luck finding a product that great in a store. All of Dollar Shave Club's products are made with top-shelf ingredients that won't break your budget. You'll feel the difference, trust me. Plus, shipping is included with your membership. Here's a great way to try all of Dollar Shave Club's products. For just 5 bucks. you can get their Daily Essential Starter Set. A new one just showed up in the mail for me. It'll be gone after I take this trip to Seattle this weekend. It comes with body cleanser, one wipe Charlie's, those amazing butt wipes I just talked about, their world-famous shave butter, and their best razor, the six-blade executive. Keep the blades coming for just a few more bucks a month and add in shampoo, toothpaste, or anything else you need for the bathroom. Check it all out at dollarshaveclub.com slash smith. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash smith. Everything you need at Dollar Shave Club to get you ready to look, feel, and smell your best. Now, speaking of looking real good, here's my interview with Scott Van Pelt. I wonder how you would describe the road from that first day in the door, how 20 years ago or whatever, uh, to the here and now. I've been one of those guys that um, that got real lucky and, and got chances to do stuff and um, I think the reason you and I, I, I get, have got along from the very first time that, that I spoke to you um, is I think you and I uh, see things through the same sort of prism, and that's that we're uh, we're fortunate and we're grateful, and um, and so that's the approach to everything we do, and we're willing to, to work our butts off to make sure we stay lucky, right? And um, 
I've told this story before, but it's, it's one of my all-time favorites. Lefty Drizel was a coach at Maryland when I was there, and I wasn't good enough to play for Lefty, but we knew each other. And, and I saw him years ago after I'd made it to ESPN and said, you're doing great, boy, I'm proud of you. I said, Coach, I, I, I thank you, man. I got lucky. And he said, son, if it was luck, it would have run out by now. <laughs> and, I thought, and I thought, what a great line because, yeah, somewhere along the way, you got to figure it out, right? you gotta, you, you got to be good enough to do it, and it, it has to appeal to enough people that they let you keep doing it. But, you know, I never in my life dreamt, Marty, that, that I'd be in a spot where they'd hand me the sort of keys to Sports Center and say, do, do with it what you want. And, and allow us to create uh, a show that, that you know we get to do what we want, and um, you know it's been a it's been a joy. It's been a lot of hard work, but um, I don't know, man. That's why I say like I don't have to go to work. I get to go to work. I mean, we 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 we're, we sit there and watch sports, and then when they're over, we talk about them. And you know, my, my dad was a plumber, Marty. He wore boots to work. I wear makeup. So uh, I, I don't, I don't ever, I don't ever take lightly. Like my dad's memory, he instilled in me a great work ethic, and uh, unfortunately, he passed long, long ago. And I, I, I'd like to hope that, uh, that, that you know, his boy made him proud along the way. Oh, he's proud as hell of you. And people say that to me all the time too, man. I lost my daddy. April twenty fifth was the tenth, tenth year, uh, the tenth mm-hmm. anniversary of losing my dad, and. Just a couple of weeks ago, last week, in fact, was the 20th year of losing my mom. And yeah. it's, uh, I think about that a lot. I think about it all the time. And back to what Coach Drizel said, I don't believe in luck, dude. I don't believe mm-hmm. in luck at all. I believe in blessings, but I yeah. think that, I think luck is the intersection of hard work and opportunity and all of those things. I don't, I don't know that it necessarily exists. I'll say this. I don't know how it is that I got to meet Tiger Woods when he was a freshman at Stanford and the golf channel was uh, not even a year old, but that's the guy I met. And because I sort of approach life the way I do and, and uh, I just treated him like a person, um, dad's line was treat, treat normal people like superstars and treat superstars like normal people. And so that's always been my approach. And Tiger and I got along from the very beginning and he turned into the biggest rock star in sports and, uh, I had the kind of access to him that that, that few other people had because we had a good personal relationship. And um, you know, all of, if he didn't turn into what he turned into, I, ESPN never would have been interested in me. So, you know, good fortune, whatever. I, I don't know what it was, but but I, a lot of the, the stars aligned in such a way long ago that you know now you and I are talking about this and both of our lives. You know, both of our lives have been on this incredible kind of trajectory that puts us in the. And the and the way all these all these people and and, and I, I just want to say this if I could just about you because I've said it to you uh, and I just want to say it to the people that are listening I I just have such an appreciation for how you do what you do and you are you disarm people with your approach because it's sincere and it's and it's evident how sincere it is and what you do is really hard and you make it look really easy and the reason it's easy is because you're you and that that right there is a blessing because that it. You can't pretend to be what you are. Like that's either are you aren't, because because that BS gets, gets figured out. You know, especially by the people you're going to talk to. Because if you're pretending to be a decent guy, but you're not, they'll figure that out. Whether it's five minutes in or ten minutes in. But you know, whether it's Tiger or Ronaldo, all these just these incredible people that you intersect with. I, I admire you because I I see what you're able to get out of people, and I think that that that's rare what you can do. That's uh that's humbling. Uh... 
I don't even know how to respond except to say thank you. I appreciate it. There you go. <laughs> uh, you know, it's you talk about the the impact that we can have, and one of the platforms that you've built and created on your own show is the one big thing platform. Mm-hmm. I always enjoy what you're going to say, and I'm always interested because there's a considerable vulnerability that comes with that platform. How long did it take you to feel comfortable with that vulnerability? Radio really helps. Uh, I'm curious if you've, if you've felt the same way, because radio invites you to share a side of yourself that, that, that television doesn't. Absolutely. Um, I mean, when you're, when you're a TV anchor, you're, you're meant to describe the news, and that, that doesn't really invite any, any personality. Not personality, but it doesn't invite a whole lot of sharing of personal experiences. Radio, where Ryan and I um, spent three hours together for however many years, um, People are interested in, interested in what you think about sports, but they're way more interested in the, the stories of your life and the, the times where you screwed up or the, the common things that we've all shared, the disappointments, the, the, the loss, whatever that you're willing to share. And somewhere along the way, I guess I just got comfortable that I, I didn't mind talking about about loss or about why I lost my dad. People, I mean, I, I've shared that I lost my dad to, to alcoholism and you know, my dad wasn't a bad man. He just had a, a problem he couldn't he couldn't ask for help to get. And so I have, um, I, I guess I, I guess I've shared that. And there's a, there's a coach out there. I'm not going to name him because because he shared it with me privately. But there's a big time coach out there uh, who told me that he heard me talk about uh, my dad when I spoke about CC Sabathia in in one big thing. And he said it it helped him to get help. And I don't even know what you say in that case. Cause you know, the cliche is if it helps one person, I wasn't trying to help anybody as much as I wanted to say what I felt and what was on my heart. And so I shared it and, and I come to find out that, uh, that this guy, um, heard it and it, and it, for some reason it flipped the light on in his head and he went out and, um, and he's gotten help and now he's good. And, um, and, and you think, well, okay. Um, that's, that's why you can't be afraid to, to, to share and, and talk about things that aren't always. It's sometimes it's sports. Most of the times it's sports. But I find that where people really connect is when it's about my kids or about some life, you know, stumble or whatever it may be. Um, that people are, are far more likely to gravitate to that than they are my opinion about the end of game one of the, of the finals. You may not want to say it, but I will. I mean, it was Steve Sarkeesian. And the reason I'm willing to say it is because he did. He actually, yep. in addressing the media when uh, he went to the Falcons, said that, and that your yep. your willingness to share your dad's story and, and, and with CC, you know, regarding CC, helped him decide I have to go do this. If there's another prominent athlete who's the ace of the New York Yankees, who is willing to be that vulnerable and admit that he needs to go get some help and to find sobriety, I can do that too. That is an unbelievable testament to the power of what CC did and your willingness to discuss it. I mean, who knows what, you know, Sark's a brilliant person. He's brilliant. Yeah, he is. And, yeah, you know, is. and now, all right, he, he, that, that gave him that shove. I mean, that must, I can't imagine how that must feel to have that type of impact. It, it's tremendous. Well, it, it, yeah, because it, and it, it really encourages me, Marty, and invites me to think um, about that, what you say, because the, TV is the weirdest damn thing in the world. You've been up here. I'm, I'm driving to work right now, and, and, <laughs> and I mean we're in the middle of, of Central Connecticut. And you, you know, I sit out there in a, in a studio all by myself at midnight, and, and 
you have no sense of if the cameras are even on, man. Yeah. And, and you think that this whole thing could be just a gigantic hoax, man. That it could be an <laughs> elaborate ruse. Uh, and then you then you go out into the world and you, and you intersect with some of the people that that um, you know have uh, have had something touch them. Um, you know, I, I don't. It is. I, my, I have a sister that went to University of Georgia, and she she had a diving accident when she was when she was a freshman in school, and she's been in a wheelchair since then. And and I talked about her. I talked about that after Ryan Chazier got injured. And I and I talk, I mean, I just I said on the show, listen, what, you, your life may never again be what it was, but it doesn't mean that you're that you know your circumstances can be tragic, but 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 you don't have to be, and you won't be. My my sister's a college graduate. She is a, a wife and a mom. All and she hasn't walked for any of this. But 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 you you share these stories uh, about life because ultimately sports are the great connector. But that, you know that's what they're a great place for us to to, to share and to greet and, and meet and, and have fun and argue and fuss and all the stuff that makes it great. But ultimately, life's not that. You know, life's about the people that that you love and and how you love them and how you get through stuff. And so I guess um, I guess radio taught me I could do it and 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 that people would be willing to come along and whether it was Sark or whether it was a guy like Eric Legrand who got injured at Rutgers yeah. that I've, you know, communicated with after his injury and, and to think you can offer people a little bit of knowledge of what may be down the road for them. I don't know. Those are the things that, that are the most gratifying um, about this, this crazy thing that we get to do. Well, that's why, again, that's why I don't believe it's luck. I believe it's divine. I think it's bigger than that. Um, You've had prominent roles on every single electronic platform there is in our company, and we're this monster. Which one of those was the most challenging for you? Radio, 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 um, without question. And I went into it, Marty, being very arrogant because I had been a TV anchor, and I thought, well, how hard could radio be? Um, and uh, you find out very quickly that filling three hours uh, is, is a beast of a, a chore, and uh, as Rosillo and I would joke, you know, to the people out there during football season, you might listen and think, well, I could do that. You, you could on a Monday. You got, you got all the stuff kind of made for you. You come in and do three hours. You could fudge it. You wouldn't be any good, but you could do it. And then you'd wake <laughs> up and you'd go, and you'd wake up the next day and you'd go, oh, my God. Okay, now it's Tuesday. Well, now what do we do for three hours? And now it's Wednesday, and well, same deal. And then Thursday, and by then you just you've given up. But then Friday comes around, you got enough stuff to talk about for the weekend. You could try to get through it again, and then you'd spend the weekend wondering how you filled fifteen hours with entertaining or compelling uh, or even passable uh, uh, subject matter. So for me, it was without question the hardest, but the most enjoyable thing I did, and it, and it was the most helpful. Um, for the reasons you and I were just discussing, kind of what it taught me about what people are interested in. And, um, and I, I loved it. And, you know, I, I look at it as the kind of thing that I'll do again. I don't know when. Um, but I figure that's, you know, the way the, way the world is, it has trended. Uh, I don't think my days of doing radio or a podcast or something like that are, are over. They just, for right now, I'm not doing it. But I, I really, really am thankful I got to do it so I could be humbled and find out that, that people who would do it well are um, are brilliant, brilliant minds. And on that same note, the decision to grow, one thing about our company is if you produce, they're going to give you the opportunity to grow and garner breadth and depth as a, I don't know, journalist for lack of a better term. 
I don't know that all of us are journalists, but whatever. Um, what decision to grow or move for you personally was the most difficult? Like, man, should I, should I do that? This, this one, this one, cause, cause I didn't know, I didn't know that they'd really let me reinvent the, the brand of Sports Center in my, uh, through my mind's eye. You know, I didn't, it's not that I didn't trust them. It's just that I, I never dreamt that, that we'd get to a place where they'd have, they'd allow me that sort of latitude. Um, and I loved doing radio. Uh, it was, it was my favorite thing to do, but it, it was evident to me that, that as much as I enjoyed doing it, the way we were doing it for Ryan to become whatever Ryan's going to become, he probably needed to not be with me. And if, if it wasn't going to continue as it was, I didn't want it to continue. And this opportunity to try it, I figured, well, I mean, it's on at midnight. If it goes, if it all goes wrong, we'll just, we'll figure something out. I'm not good, Marty. And, and that's, that's why, I, again, another thing I admire about you, I, you strike me as the kind of guy that you, you're, you, you try stuff and you just dive in. And, and for me, I get, I get in a in a routine in a comfortable place, and then I have a hard time stepping out of that mm-hmm. place. So uh, it was hard for me to to do it. And now, of course, as our as is the case with a lot of things in life, when you actually try it to do it, you look back and go, "Man, that would have been dumb if I didn't." So uh, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that whatever it was that shoved me in this way and led me this way, um, you know, I'm, I'm thankful. You're going to deny this, but I'm going to say it because I believe it to be true. I believe that at this point you're the face of our company. I think you're the face of our network. And you, whether you want to agree or not, that's my opinion. So I'd like to ask you this way. What accompanies being such a forward-facing person at a company like ours? Well, first of all, um, I, I, that's kind, uh, and I'm happy to have a role that that, that's prominent. There are plenty of people that are that are uh, that share that distinction. Um, no one person is that, but I think, um, and I've learned this that, that if you're talking, people are listening. And I've talked uh, on podcasts or whether it's social media or out in the world that there's that you, there's a responsibility and an obligation to carry yourself and, and, and behave in a certain way. And, and what I mean by that is to just you represent more than yourself. And I don't take that lightly. And I've gotten into dust-ups with people uh, defending our place because, you know, I still have faith in, in who and what we are as a place. And, and no one's ever sat me down and told me, here's, here's what you're meant to do uh, as someone who's been here for a while or, and, and has a, a role that's significant. Uh, but I feel, I feel these things inherently, that, that, that I'm, I'm proud of, of what I get to do, and I'm proud of who I get to do it for. And I will, I will always represent that, that feeling, and I'll always do my level best to, uh, to make our company uh, – I want to be proud of what I do. I want to do a show people want to watch. You know, I mean, it's, it's, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's all that complicated, really. Um, but I, I do, as time has gone by and as the, the, the way the world – works has has become so everything is out there um i think i've changed the way i i, I carry myself i'm probably a whole, i'm probably a lot less fun i'm glad my days of going to vegas are uh, 15 years of my rear shoot here um you know what i'm saying uh you know it, we had a lot of fun back in the day i mean i'm, I'm a pretty boring guy these days but I, i'm a dad and i love that role and uh you know I'm, i just don't do anything that's gonna that's gonna cause us any undue attention we get clowned a lot all right it's just part of our <laughs> mm-hmm. job Oddly, there's some credibility in that, but one of my great insecurities is that I like to be liked. 
I just do. Uh, and that's never going to change. I've accepted that now. It's the way it is. How long did it take you to find comfort and confidence despite all the criticisms we face? I admire, again, this is like a, this is a love in because I, I respect the fact that you're willing to say that because I, I, um, I struggle with it too. What I, my biggest problem is that dumb people make me mad. Same. And, 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 and you, the, and the, the, the real foolhardy part about that is that you're allowing someone, and, and let's be, like many cases it's social media where this, this happens, you're allowing someone who, who you don't even know if they're, who have an opinion you value to influence your state of mind or your, your, your personal well being. That's, that's an idiotic way to act. And yet I've been, um, Listen, I've joked with, uh, with, uh, within our company, like, you know, have you ever argued, argued with an egg? Because I have. What am I doing? Um, but it's, it's way nicer to be liked. But I don't know what this is about human nature. If 99 people come, out, come on your uh, Twitter feed after you've done a, a piece uh, or your show and they tell you how much they enjoyed it, but one person says you suck, yep. for some reason your eyeballs get drawn to that one person. Yep. And I don't know why that is. Um, I think you and I are in a, are, are in a uh, we're lucky in that I think more more people like us than don't, and I think we'd both be wise to just be grateful and thank the Lord that that that's the case, rather than try to win over those the small percentage, uh, or if it's a large percentage, that's okay. You can't make everybody like you because you can't be all things to all people. So I guess what I finally became comfortable with and is that I'm me. I'm going to be me. I'm going to celebrate me. I'm going to be my biggest fan, and if you're not, that's okay. Because I know, I know the good Lord loves me, and so do my wife and kids. And nothing that you feel about me can validate me or touch me. Well said, very well said. Uh, what's your greatest sporting passion? You mean as a fan? Mm, I don't know. It, it, period. Um, I I just love I love to 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 be able to watch greatness. I be able I, I love to be able to um, to, to be close enough to, to greatness, to experience it. And I, I got to have a front row seat for tiger. And I think what we're seeing out of LeBron at the moment is, is that, and just, I, I just want to celebrate greatness and appreciate it rather than try to find the, the, the negative in all of it. My, my passion is in, is in excellence in sports and, and we, we get to see it all the time. Um, I love college sports. I mean, I, I love college football, college basketball. Um, but but my passion is is that to, to just kind of witness and then celebrate the excellence that we get to see on a, on a daily basis. And it, and here's the thing: it is isn't always LeBron or Tiger. You know, I, we were in our show the other day with Pittsburgh and Florida women's softball. There were there were two girls, and I won't remember their names off the top of my head, but. One girl from Texas A&M hit a home run in the top of the, the top of the seventh inning. They were down to their last out, and that gave them a lead. And if they won, they were going to the Super Regional. And then in the bottom of the inning, two outs, two strikes, a freshman hit a home run, and that meant Florida got to go to the uh, to the Super Regional. And the, the excellence that was displayed, and and the vulnerability of both sides being willing to put it out there, and one side was going to be crushed, and A&M ended up being crushed. Like that right there, that's my passion. Yeah, that man. that women's softball in Gainesville, Florida, seeing that. And people that are striving, it's the arena. You, you know, Teddy Roosevelt speaks yeah, the arena man. about, you know, those that strive and they know the great devotions. And even if they fail, they fail while daring greatly. Like that right there. I love the arena. I love the people that are in the arena. Which interview you've done had the most impact? 
Mm. I get asked that too, and it's almost impossible to answer. I've had some. I mean, I've had some incredible people like talking to Jack Nicholas and him telling me he was going to go out to the three contest and make a hole in one, and then and then he did, and he had never made a hole in one at a gun in his whole life. And I thought, you got to be kidding me! That guy's magic. You know, um, I recently talked to Maya Moore from from uh, yep. the UConn star who is from Minnesota in the WNBA. I sent her a note after we were done talking because I was so impressed by this young woman's attitude and her approach and her um, her understanding of who and what she is. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm afraid I don't have any one. I'll tell you, the person I talked to that was the biggest freak out and it had nothing to do with sports, it was Bono from U2. And, and we, it was an event in New York City. It had nothing to do with, with, with ESPN. And, and when we got done with it, he pulled me aside and told me that, that, he, was, that he was afraid the interview was going to be a chore, but that he had more fun talking to me than he had in, in forever, and that he thanked me for it. And I thought, I'll be damned. Bono just thanked me for, for, for you know, saving him from having a night that he was dreading, and it turned into something he enjoyed. And that, I took that as an incredible compliment that I was able to, you know, at least make Bono interested for half an hour. I was just going to ask you, who have you met that you were shocked that knew who you were? I don't know if Bono knew who I was, but when I left, my son was going I think he thought, who's this bald-headed, who's this bald-headed tall, gangly fool that's talking to me? I don't know if he knew me uh, beforehand, but, I mean, every now and then you'll encounter, you know, some, and I'm sure you've had this, it's, it's some uh, some mega, you know, oh, yeah. actor, you know, or, you know, whoever, I I was going to talk to Will Smith in advance of a movie. He walks, you know, he walks through all the people, and he looks over and he says, "Scott, what are you I'm thinking, "I'm so gone." It just never ceases to amaze me that uh, that any of these people would have the slightest inkling who I was. Same. I got a couple more. I know you got to run in to get prepared for your show, but a couple more really quickly. You were way ahead of this sports gambling thing. Way ahead. Of <laughs> How's that going to impact my- how we consume sports, man? Well, my degenerate days from years and years ago served me well. It, it'll be interesting. Um, it, it won't impact the world. Like, if you want to bet, you already do. You know, yep. if, if, if there's somebody listening to us right now, if they've wanted to bet on a game, they, they've got a guy or they've got an offshore thing. It, more than anything, it's just, you know, it, it, it takes away any, any more of the taboo element that feels like it still exists. It'll allow us on game day or on sports center or wherever to just say, hey, so-and-so's favored by whatever. Um I, that, that's all. I mean, we've people have been doing it a long time, and I do think there'll be specific programming. Somebody will do show a show about it, but the thing that they'll find is it'll be hard to do well because um, if you don't authentically understand it, then you're going to speak about it in a way that's going to hit the ear, like hit the ears wrong of the people that do it. Like if you're if you don't understand NASCAR and you try to talk about it, then the people that know the sport are gonna, you'll, you'll you'll be exposed immediately as a fraud. And uh, same way with golf. And same way with gambling. If, if, if someone goes on TV and tries to talk about it, doesn't have a clue, like the terminology that's used, then the people will not listen. So fortunately, in our case, I have enough experience in my, in my past to be able to talk about it uh, with a bit of authenticity. I've noticed that I was very cognizant of that dynamic when I started horse racing. I mean, this just this summer, I've started kind of being the horse racing guy for mm-hmm. – for our company, and I knew that going in because of NASCAR. I knew I had to get the verbiage right. I had to get the cadence right. I had to understand all of those nuances or you're a fraud immediately. And yeah, that is so NASCAR true. Golf and, NASCAR golf and horse racing, all those things for sure. Like the, what you use the wrong term or 
where it doesn't hold an understanding of something that's just inherently known by the people that watch it, and they're just going to go, well, look at this poor idiot. Last thing, <laughs> I want to talk about being a dad. It is very difficult in our jobs to have work-life balance. It's hard. It, it's work to have balance. How has fatherhood impacted your worldview? Um, it's cliche, Marty, but I mean, yeah, I waited until I was late. I mean, I'm, I'm in my 40s before I even got married, and, and so I, I became a dad late in the game. But it's better that way because I have a much more um, clearly defined view of myself, and I know who I am, and, um, and, and I was ready to do it. And it's, I mean, this isn't an original thought, but I can only tell you this. You know, it's, it's the greatest love I've ever known. Um, I have a daughter and I have two little boys. And my daughter uh, had, a, had a little recital in her school. And, um, you know, I get home at 2 in the morning, and, and she had this recital. At, it was 8 in the morning, and she was going to sing. And I picked her up from school. I get to pick her up every day, and I picked her up. And the first thing she says, Daddy, you're going to be at the at the my performance tomorrow. And I said, Of course I am, sweetheart. And, and it, I mean, was I tired? Yeah, I was tired. But would I missed it? Not for every dollar you got. And and so to to be to be able to, to to we have a thing. I ask my daughter every day, Marty. I say, What do you know? And she says, Daddy loves Lila. And awesome. All I want her to know her whole life is that she's loved. And if she knows that, she, that her dad loves her, then anything else, is it starts from that point. And she does. And my boys will know, they'll learn the exact same thing, because I was lucky to know that from my dad, who, who I lost 30 years ago. And um, we, uh, this is corny, but we listen to Lullaby. It's a song by Billy Joel. And she yeah. understands the whole idea that, you know, uh, someday we'll all be gone, but lullabies go on and on. And, um, and that's how you and I will be. And she she understands that um, that her dad's always going to be with her, and her dad's always going to love her. And um, I was lucky to be loved, and so I'm um, I'm just trying to I'm trying to be for her, you know what I was what I was lucky enough to have, and that's somebody for her that that that, that is a center and a place that she knows is home. And um, you know, there's a lot, man. It's, it, there's a lot to it, obviously, but I'm uh, they're my greatest gift, and they're, they're the thing I love. Uh, the most and they're why I work as hard as I do. Cause I want to be able to give them, you know, whatever it is beyond just that love. Um, things are nice, but love is what matters. And, uh, she knows she's loved. I love that. I appreciate it, man. If that's your compass, you're doing it right. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time. I know how busy you are and it means so much to me that you took this time, brother. Thank you so much. Not at all, my man. This is, uh, this is, uh, really fun and on the, just as a last thought you, you keep doing what you're doing the way you're doing it and uh you'll be here long after they've gotten uh sick and tired of me you just keep being you more <laughs> appreciate it bro bye man i love it man i love getting to spend that time with scott the first event that i ever worked with him was the 2018 masters tournament down at augusta national golf club and he was so kind to me and gave me so much time and it was it was interesting because when Tony Finau got hurt and blew his ankle out, uh, I was one of the only people who had spent any time with Finau. I did a big feature on Tony before the Masters that year, and then, of course, during the par three, he blows his ankle out, pops it right back in like a boss, and plays 72 holes on a very hilly golf course extremely well. And Scott was so complimentary of my coverage of Tony and the interview that we had done together. And that just meant so much to me how welcomed he made me feel. 
him and Rinaldi and Gino and Curtis Strange and all of the folks who are so immersed in ESPN golf uh, made me feel so welcome. And I'm, I'm forever indebted to them for that. I appreciate above all about that conversation, Scott's commentary about being a dad and the perspective that that gives you about the world. It changes everything. And I love what he said, he says, to his daughter in a carpool line, because those are the moments as a father with your children that are indelible and that they remember forever. So good on him for being that kind of dad. It's important. Now it's time for the Marty party, but it's a bit different one this time. It's a bit more serious subject. I just got back from one of the most important events ESPN covers the Special Olympics. I have had the great blessing of covering two Special Olympics World Games, one in Los Angeles, California in 2015 in the summer, and one in the spring of 2017 in Schladming and Graz, Austria. They were life-changing events for me. I met athletes that were indomitable, who had long been told, you can't, you won't, you'll never, and they laughed in the face of those statements. They are indomitable, and I am a better man for having met them, having known them, and having covered them. And that's no different this time in the Special Olympics USA Games in Seattle, from which I just returned. I did a story leading into these games about Seth Hanchi, a 24-year-old power lifter from Louisiana. Seth's story is beyond measure in its impact. Speaking of indomitable, Seth is all of that, and in this life, At times, our burdens can be heavy. They can be emotional. They can be spiritual. They can be physical. Seth's burden was all of those at once, and it nearly killed him. For most of us, Seth's burden would be the weight of the world. But for Seth, the weight is the world. Because weightlifting, powerlifting has given him purpose. It has become his voice. Seven years ago, all of that seemed impossible. It was the fall of 2011, and Seth was broken and clinging to life in a hospital. Now he's full of life. Seth's journey winds through the maze of mankind's virtuous qualities, faith, hope, love, resilience. He was a nursing student and a youth pastor in the fall of 2011, and he found great fulfillment in helping others. He was a triathlete, and he loved endurance sports. He loved parkour, the military obstacle jumping and training sport. But on September 28, 2011, when Seth was 17, he embarked on a 60-mile triathlon training ride. Just a handful of miles in, he was hit from behind by an 81-year-old woman in a minivan. Seth slammed the vehicle's hood, caved its windshield, and he coded twice at the scene. He died twice. Ultimately, he was medevaced to the trauma center at LSU Shreveport. Doctors warned his family he may not survive the night. He did survive, but recovery would be daunting. The whiplash deeply damaged critical brain matter. Seth underwent Many surgeries. In one of those surgeries, part of his skull was removed. Areas of his brain, including the control centers for speech, memory, and executive planning were affected. He spent five months in the hospital. When Seth returned home, he wore diapers. He required a wheelchair, and he had to relearn how to breathe, brush his teeth, and dress himself. In the year after leaving the hospital, Seth progressed well. He even laced up for a 5K at one point. Eventually, he mounted the same bike on which he nearly died and went for a ride. But with time, Seth needed a new challenge. His mother introduced him to powerlifting as a motivational tool to balance his motor skills. 
Powerlifting became his vehicle. It became his voice. It became his purpose. Entering these 2018 Special Olympics USA Games, his coach, Danielle Miller, estimates Seth squats 400 pounds, bench presses 315, and deadlifts 350. This is the part about Seth's story. Outside of the perseverance, outside of the dogged determination to learn to do it again, There were times when his dad was on one side of him and his brother-in-law was on the other side of him and they were helping him learn to walk. And Seth walked. He's an amazing testament to what we can do if we do not accept what others say we can and can't do. But the most impactful part of this story for me is forgiveness. In 2017, nearly six years after the accident, Seth visited the woman who hit him. Seth sat with her, he prayed with her, and he forgave her in a time when she was suffering from Alzheimer's. What a testament to his grace. And what an example of how we should forgive and how we should have so much grace. I am a better man for Seth's story. He is and always will be an inspiration to me. Thank you, Seth. Obviously, that's an emotional story. It deserves to be told, and as you can tell, it's very important to me. I hope it impacts you. But anybody who knows me, ever seen anything I've done on television, or listens to the idiocy that is Marty and McGee every Saturday morning, you know we like to have fun, too. And that's what time it is now. It's time for hillbilly-isms. Travis, what we got? What we gonna do, bud? We gonna drink one of these beers. Hand me one of them damn beers real quick. What's up, man? Marty party. Hey, Marty, I got one for you from the motherland that is the 276. I'm an insurance agent here, and uh, a few months ago I had a father and son come in and get insurance on a new Dodge Ram pickup. Well, everything was going good, and they, they left. About a month later, they show back up, tore all the pieces. And I said to them, I said, well, what happened? They said, well, we need to file a claim. And I said, okay. I said, don't tell me it's on the new Ram. He goes, well, yeah, it was. I said, well, tell me what happened. He said, well, me and my son went up on the mountain coon hunting, and he'd had these new dog collars that were supposed to be the best in the business. And he says, well, these can't be beat. They go out, and, of course, the collars don't work as they shouldn't. He said, well, my son, he's real disappointed about it, and we was coming back off the mountain, and he was over there driving, fishing with the collars while we was driving. And I kept thinking, oh, this is going to go bad. And he said, then I looked down and took a sip of my Mountain Dew, and I looked back up, and he goes, try it now, Daddy. So I hit the remote, and next thing I know, we're going end over end off the side of the mountain. So thought I'd drop that one in on you. Y'all have a good one. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love you guys. I love you. I, I mean, I don't really know how to respond to that, Travis. That that, that that feels like that goes right into with last week, a boohoo and a baja bush. It sounds like they went into one of those. I hate that they totaled their brand new Dodge Ram because those trucks are badass, like really badass. I don't wonder if old, I wonder if the two seven six uh, took care of that claim. We shall see. Play that thing again. Hey Marty, I got one for you from the motherland that is the two seven six. I'm an insurance agent here, and a few months ago I had a father and son come in and get insurance on a new Dodge Ram pickup. Well, everything was going good, and they they left. About a month later, they show back up, tore all the pieces. And I said to them, I said, well, what happened? They said, well, we need to file a claim. 
And I said, okay. I said, don't tell me it was on the new ramp. He goes, well, yeah, it was. I said, well, tell me what happened. He said, well, me and my son went up on the mountain coon hunting, and he'd had these new dog collars that were supposed to be the best in the business. And he says, well, I, these can't be beat. They go out, and, of course, the collars don't work as they should. And he said, well, my son, he's real disappointed about it. And we was coming back off the mountain, and he was over there driving, fishing with the collars while we was driving. And I kept thinking, oh, this is going to go bad. And he said, and then I looked down and took a sip of my Mountain Dew. And I looked back up, and he goes, try it now, Daddy. So I hit the remote, and next thing I know, we're going end over end off the side of the mountain. So I dropped that one in on it. Y'all have a good one. I feel like all you know of these. What that is, Travis? What's that? You know what that is, son? That is hold my beer. That's what that is. So I feel like all those stories start with the, the at some point in it have a I knew this was going to happen and try it. That's hold my beer. Hey y'all, yeah. watch this. That's what that is. That's East Tennessee, son, right there. I think it is. No, that's see. that's your people, Marty. Two seven six is Virginia. That's Virginia. That's baby. Virginia, boy. That's that's your you people. Go. That's my people. I, it's like Mr. Price used to say in ninth grade earth science. He'd take that pink chalk, slam it against the board. You can't fix stupid. Stupid is forever. There you go. That's my people. I love every one of y'all. Keep it coming. Travis, I don't even ask me. I don't know what the number is. 860-516-1315. Oh, my God. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, baby. There you go. 16 tries. 860-516-1315. Y'all call us and leave us a little ditty, Jim, just like that from the 276, and you just might be on the Marty Smith America podcast. I'm kind of upset, though, that you didn't know that those are your people. Well, sometimes that happens. I thought it was my people, but I thought it might be East Tennessee. East Tennessee might be 423. I don't know. I appreciate y'all. Thank you so much for your devotion to listening to the Marty Smith America podcast. Travis, thank you so much, brother, for how hard you work to make it great. Louise, I still think you're crazy for letting us have this platform. Thank you so much to Dollar Shave Club for being a great partner and keeping me looking good for you guys on the television all over the world. Above all, thanks to you guys. Without you guys, there's no reason to do it. And God bless America, the greatest country in the world.